0: Thanks, guys. Can you see us? Did I see John Kiriakou sneaking around there somewhere? <laughs> I'm comfortably seated. Oh, there you <laughs> are. Oh, seated. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Julian. The floor is yours. Uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to... Uh, Pay a kind of tribute I suppose to uh, Ron Paul and his Institute uh, and the the people that uh, have supported him uh, over the years uh, and uh, what uh, I know from personal experience is a, a very uh, courageous uh, position um, a very and principal position in relation to uh, the the war racket. Uh, I think it's much better to describe it like that rather than saying uh, U.S. foreign policy because there are some parts of U.S. foreign policy which are good, but the war racket which uh, dominates, unfortunately, the uh, decisions that are made in U.S. foreign policy uh, is something that is not good, and I think we can see this basically from first principles that there are types of human interactions um, which are not zero-sum, uh, which as a result of the interaction at work, uh, everyone is left better off. Uh, but when you're building ROMs uh, and dropping them on people, uh, with some very rare exceptions, uh, everyone is worse off. Uh, the resources that have gone into the instruction uh, are wasted and you've destroyed the productive capacities of those uh, who have their systems or industry uh, destroyed. But it does make a profit uh, for some people involved. Uh, One of the difficulties I have in speaking to this audience is that I think you all know that. In some ways, uh, not a lot has changed from uh, when Smedley Butler described uh, this phenomenon, of the war racket in the 1930s. Uh, there's, a, of course, a, an internal dimension to it uh, and an external dimension, which externally can also be a protection racket. But if you understand that seven, nearly, uh, sorry, just over $7 trillion uh, has been spent since 2001 uh, on the uh, various wars that the United States has been in. Involved in pulling in some of its allies, but that expenditure is from the U.S. Treasury, uh, together with the interest that will be paid on the loans that were uh, borrowed uh, to conduct that activity. Uh, you can see the 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 uh, extent of the wealth transfer into these destructive war industries, and if if you see that the uh, U.S. election. Uh, Let's look at the last one, last federal election, It costs about $2 billion uh, to run. And you compare that to uh, $7 trillion, uh, even just compared, let's say, to Saudi arms contracts of some $400 billion, that even if you just take uh, half a percent on the value of the Saudi arms contracts alone, you can fund uh, both sides of U.S. politics in a, a national election campaign. So, that's the, uh, the the size of the industry uh, that people are up against. Uh, I have a, a question that I'd like someone to answer, because the, the, the answer is not clear to me, but I think it's very interesting, which is the US defence budget uh, has increased by about $100 billion this year, uh, from 600 to $700 billion. Uh, And that's very serious. That's a nearly 20% increase in the military and intelligence budget. Uh, Now Trump, in his election campaign, promised an increase in the budget, uh, and he threw down one of his uh, ambitious um, uh, opening negotiation um, positions of an increase of $50 billion, and the uh, Congress including two-thirds of, uh, sorry, the House, including two-thirds of uh, Democrats, uh, increased that by another $50 billion. Um, now, $50 billion is the size of the entire Russian military budget. So, the, Trump not only received all of his ambit claim of an increase of $50 billion, uh, but the Congress has now increased that by another $50 billion. So, an increase of double the entire uh, Russian military budget our budget just this year. And I really am very curious as to where uh, that's coming from. So you can perhaps look at some political dimensions of a, of a fight for loyalties, um, but the, the only element really of hard power that uh, Trump has is perhaps the military and his White House has been infested by generals. So perhaps there's a desire by the Congress also to bid for those loyalties. Uh, Or, does it reflect a a much more concerning trend? Uh, And I I rather think that it does, which is the um, contraction in the ability of the US empire to rule itself, uh, or rather rule others, uh, which is, of course, inevitable as US GDP has uh, declined from some 50% of world GDP. Uh, to some 20% of world uh, GDP today. Obviously, the United States can't hang on uh, to its 500 to 1,300 military bases, depending on how you count them, uh, across the world um, when its proportion of global GDP uh, has diminished so much. Uh, So are we seeing what is perhaps uh, the beginnings of the death throes? Uh, of the war racket in its attempt to hold on to that, uh, which it cannot hold on to. Because there is an equivalent, uh, which was towards the end of the Soviet Union. uh, And as its ability to hold on to its territories and regions of influence diminished, uh, its military uh, budget started to skyrocket uh, as well. And if so, I think that's a very unfortunate uh, trajectory uh, for the United States and its people uh, to um, have their productive industry uh, diverted into wealth-destroying and dangerous uh, military-industrial complex. And perhaps, perhaps, I don't know if we have time for uh, a couple of questions. How are we going? Okay, that's good. Uh, I would just. Mention one other thing, I'm I'm sure others will mention it as well, but it's of of personal interest and a bit of amusement, that the uh, U.S. Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, which has 14 um, senators uh, just uh, Friday, the week before last, um, added an uh, addendum to the proposed yearly intelligence bill, uh, Section 623. Uh, and Section 623 is the WikiLeaks bill, nakedly uh, stated, which uh, tries to define uh, me and my staff as a non-state, a non-state intelligence agency. Uh, and so, when I first saw this, I thought, well, that's kind of cool, having your own, having your own Senate bill, uh, <laughs> with, with, with your own number on it. Uh, I want to. There was one dissenter out of the 14, which is Ron Wyden. I want to con- congratulate him for his uh, principled dissent. Uh, he has, over a number of similar issues, dissented in the past. Um, but we'll go to the House and it will, it will go to the Senate. Uh, and it, when you track where this comes from, non state intelligence agency, it's, it's kind of it's incoherent. What the hell does that mean? Non state. <laughs> non state intelligence agency. That's very odd. Uh, um, well, it comes from uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, the new Trump director of the CIA. I hear he was uh, a, uh, a pick by Mike Pence. Uh, so he's pushed that as some kind of Pompeo doctrine. I do know where it's come from, which I, I will leave for a, di- a different time, uh, where, where it actually originated within the, uh, within the machine. But, um, yeah, I, d- I don't know what, should we, like, say, have T-shirts with all the way to the top with 623, uh, or there should be some campaign to, to absolutely mock uh, this absurd construction. Uh, when, we, when it first came out, uh, I said, look, look, the CIA, it was actually the maiden speech of Pompeo, uh, as, uh, calling us a a non-state intelligence agency. This is absurd uh, to uh, be called this uh, phrase by a state non-intelligence agency. (laughs) Uh, But but seriously, that I think is a very, also interesting question. uh, On the, is there any similarity to uh, what media organizations do and what intelligence agencies do. Well, media organizations uh, develop sources, uh, protect them, take their information, analyze it. Uh, and the analytical part of intelligence agencies also develop sources, take their information uh, and analyze it. But the the key difference is what happens at the end, or rather what should happen at the end, which is a media organization publishes. Uh, An intelligence organization doesn't publish. Uh, And on this uh, spectrum between uh, intelligence organization uh, and a pure publisher, uh, Wikileaks is famously uh, uh, obsessively uh, pure in its publishing. That is what we obtain, provided it fits our editorial criteria of being significant and suppressed, Uh, then we publish all of it, Uh, it, sometimes to much criticism. Uh, whereas organizations like the New York Times, these are very much uh, closer to the in, uh, intelligence agency uh, behavior because they suppress information prior, prior to the elections. They also publish fake information uh, leading to, to war. In fact, as someone who's involved in, in you know, the media business and who has been the subject of a lot of media, uh, I can't tell you the... Um, degree of uh, contempt uh, and, frankly, revulsion, I feel, for uh, most of the media industry. Uh, There are some fine exceptions, uh, uh, but uh, these are exceptional people in part because they are such an exception and have to nonetheless deal in that environment. If if you uh, think about the Iraq war, um, what is the—we all know the culpability of the CIA, but and, and the, the Bush administration, but what is the culpability of, of journalists in the Iraq war and in other wars? Uh, well, look at the numbers. Uh, if you look at the number of uh, political journalists uh, in the United States, but are equally uh, serious problems here in the United Kingdom, uh, actually it's, it's something like 5,000 uh, active uh, political journalists. They're not talking about sport or, or cooking or something. So the failure of these political journalists, uh, national security journalists, uh, their failure to, to do what they claim is their job uh, resulted in how many deaths? Easily over a million, maybe, maybe pushing up to, up to two million if you include uh, the knock-on effects in, in Syria and Libya. Uh, so what is the death count uh, per journalist? It, it is several hundred people. Uh, killed by your average political journalist uh, as a result of their incompetence and their failure uh, to do the, the job that they promised to do, which is to hold power to account, uh, to not censor information and withhold it uh, from the public if they know about it, and to be uh, ever, ever questioning. Uh, and I would say also to, to fight for the, the rights to continue that activity. So in the United States, that's the First Amendment internationally. Uh, Article 19. So, um, how are we going? Okay, uh, so just to, one more uh, thought. Um, it's, it's a, I think, dangerous in this business to, to, be, to run into the trap of uh, securitizing what we perceive to be a dangerous phenomenon. Uh, because if you look at what the, essentially what the raw racket is, uh, yes, it's essentially, it's essentially a way to launder uh, tax dollars uh, uh, using some excuse, but what is the excuse? Uh, well, the excuse is that there's some threat. And so, they're always involved in, in uh, hyping up threats in order to uh, increase their share of the tax take. And internationally, of course, it's a more of a protection racket, which is you pay us and, and we won't bomb you. Uh, but I think we should be, we should be careful about… Uh, overstating the competence uh, of these organisations. Once you understand that they're basically just in it for the money, uh, the uh, tremendous incompetence uh, starts to to be something that that you would expect uh, to manifest. For example, Um, I'm fond of saying that at one level, the the CIA is perhaps the most incompetent organization that has ever existed. Uh, Let's look at what it professes its competence to be. It it professes its competence as protecting the security interests uh, of the American people uh, and to a degree, uh, its allies, Uh, but this is the uh, organization's actions Gave us a theocracy in Iran, uh, who gave us Pinochet uh, in Chile, uh, who gave us the Iraq War and all the, the terrorism and squalor and death uh, that emerged from that, uh, who gave us Libya uh, and turbocharged ISIS and jihadist groups uh, across the Middle East. Uh, this, this is a, an agency that uh, can't even keep its secrets from WikiLeaks, a, a small um, a more investigative publisher. I just I find that absolute madness. Uh, uh, look at our rescue of Edward Stone from Hong Kong. Why I was trapped in this embassy? That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but I have a, I have a cool staff. They're bright people. But we're a small investigative publisher. Uh, how can it be that in a in a well defined toss up? Um, to get Edward Snowden asylum somewhere, or have him be arrested, uh, where it's it's just us lot and a few and a few friends and lawyers uh, against these Titanic organisations, uh, and we're successful. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so the the answer, the answer is that you know I'd like the answer to be that you know all all me and, and my staff now, lawyers, we're all geniuses, but the, the, I'm afraid the reality. Uh, <laughs> The, the reality is that these are just totally incompetent organizations with with stalinist a, stalinist a stalinist, uh, bureaucratic structure who don't really believe uh, in half the work that they do uh, who are always looking about how to get you know to to um, get some money uh, enter into the contractor sphere uh, and so on so i th- think in some ways we should be quite hopeful about those examples of just how incompetent these organizations are. Um, and while at the, at the kind of physical level, installing mass surveillance uh, and producing bombs and dropping them, they are competent and they have good logistics, at the, uh, the dynamic political level they're very incompetent. Uh, and I think we have to show people that incompetence, uh, so, so people are not scared uh, to Uh, to resist their activities, uh, which are are very destructive uh, and to uh, laugh uh, at these naked uh, spy kings, which in Virginia are all around.